Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning. I hope you had a great weekend. This is Peter Lewis and a warm welcome to my podcast Money Talk for Monday the 24th of April. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, President Joe Biden aims to sign an executive order in the coming weeks that will limit investment in key parts of China's economy by American businesses. The administration plans to take action around the time of the G7 summit, which is due to start in Japan on May the 19th. This latest move marks an escalation in the US economic campaign against China, with capital flows now in the crosshairs. Flash April composite PMIs from the US, the Eurozone and the UK all beat expectations in data released Friday. The US service sector expanded at the fastest pace since April 2022. Eurozone business activity expanded faster than expected in April, with the composite PMI rising to an 11-month high. UK economic activity accelerated at the fastest pace in a year. Meanwhile, in Japan, activity in the services sector hit the second highest level since October 2013. Chile's president, Gabriel Boric, said last week that he planned to nationalise the country's lithium industry. Chile is the world's second largest producer of the metal, which is crucial to car batteries and other green technologies. Under the plans, Chile will create a state-owned lithium company to develop Chile's lithium resources, and future lithium contracts would only be issued as public-private partnerships with state control. Investors are piling into ultra-short-term treasury bills to avoid getting caught up in the US debt ceiling drama. Surging demand has driven one-month T-bill prices higher, and the divergence between one-month and three-month bills is the largest on record. Unless Congress lifts the legal limits for how much the government can borrow, the Treasury Department could be unable to raise more debts from as early as June or as late as September, affecting three-month government debts which matures around that time. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management, and Dickie Wong, Head of Research at Kingston Securities. With a view from mainland China is Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sher. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street, US stocks suffered their worst week since March the 10th, which was the week of the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, with the Nasdaq the biggest loser on the week. On Friday, in a quiet session, US shares ended the day slightly higher. Equities were held back by strong US flash PMI data, sending the odds of a Fed rate hike next week higher. The S&P 500 eked out a 0.1% gain to settle at 4,134. The Dow added 22 points or 0.1% to end at 33,809. The Nasdaq Composite rose 0.1% to close at 12,072. For the week, the S&P 500 fell 0.1%. The Dow dropped 0.2% to snap a four-week winning streak. But the Nasdaq saw the biggest decline, losing 0.4%. Hong Kong stocks fell after mainland Chinese investors withdrew their money from the market by the most in nine weeks. The Hang Seng Index lost 321 points, or 1.6%, to close out Friday at 20,076, extending last week's pullback to 1.8%. 
The tech sector and electric vehicle makers led the declines amid concerns about deteriorating U.S.-China relations and intensifying competition. The tech index slumped 3.1% Friday and was down 4.7% for the week. This morning, futures markets are pointing to further losses for the Hang Seng at the open of about 85 points or 0.4% on the mainland. China's CSI 300 index slumped 2% in its biggest daily slide since October. The Shanghai Composite Index fell by the same amount, ending Friday at 3,301. And that took the weekly decline to 1.1%, despite the release of stronger-than-expected Chinese growth figures on Tuesday. Elsewhere in the markets, natural gas, crude oil, gold and copper were all lower on the week as traders worried about economic growth. Brent crude oil was down 5.4% over the five trading days at $81.66 per barrel, wiping out all of the gains stemming from OPEC's surprise output cuts. Treasury yields and the US dollar ended the week higher. And you can get all the latest market movements on my daily blog, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. And it's time to welcome my Monday morning guests, Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and also Dickie Wong, who is Head of Research at Kingston Securities. A very good morning to you both. China-U.S. relations are deteriorating further with news that President Joe Biden aims to sign an executive order in the coming weeks that will limit investment in key parts of China's economy by American businesses. The administration plans to take action around the time of the G7 summit due to start in Japan on May the 19th. And the White House has asked South Korea to urge its chip makers not to fill any market gap in China if Beijing bans Micron from selling chips, according to the Financial Times this morning. The U.S. made the request as South Korea's President Yoon prepares to travel to Washington for a state visit today. China this month launched a national security review into Micron, one of the three dominant players in the global DRAM memory chip markets with South Korea's Samsung Electronics and SK Hynix. Alex, what's, this doesn't seem to be a good development in terms of U.S.-China relations and also investors' worries. Yeah, of course, this is a really bad development and you can see the reactions from the market. Uh, actually, last week, uh, selling into uh, Megatex and even um, uh, the chip makers in China actually accelerated uh, um, and after the the, the, the the news break out. So I think uh, we probably will still be uh, affected by this development and people probably will not change their perceptions easily. And, and then I think uh, we probably may see continued outflow from the tech sectors in, in Hong Kong. Is it is it easy for um, uh, Chinese chip makers to sort of try and develop their own equipment to be able to build their own chips? I think it will take years. Uh, it will not be that easy because uh, first of all, uh, they will need to um, do the um, the entire process by themselves, probably, and then they probably may not be easy to get. Uh, uh, key equipments uh, from overseas suppliers that would uh, also uh, slow down their overall development. So that is not easy. And even if they can, I think uh, the capacity capacity initially actually would be not enough to um, cater for China uh, needs. Dickie, how how big a problem is this? How big a worry is this going to be for investors? Because we saw a slump, didn't we, in uh, in the chip makers in China on uh, on Friday and also here in Hong Kong. Well, obviously, the increasing tension between China and U.S. and also um, U.S. may impose new sanctions on some of the uh, chip uh, makers. I mean, 
um, manufacturing I mean, equipment may um, hurt the Chinese, I mean, semiconductor industry seriously. And also, we have to bear in mind, Japan also recently imposed its own restriction on some of the 20-something types of semiconductor manufacturing equipments. So U.S. now joining uh, Japan um, to curb China's ability to make advanced chips. So this has remained a serious problem. Um, still, China may import, like um, as I've just mentioned, manufacturing equipment from every uh, from other countries, including ASML. But uh, uh, obviously, they're facing increasing, I mean, tension and pressure. So this is not easy for um, semiconductor companies um, to. I mean, to do all the the, the jobs, including um, some of the manufacturing equipment domestically, they're simply not available in mainland. So, so that's why money outflow from Stock Connect, uh, people selling um, chipset companies stocks, semiconductor stocks, last week uh, mainly um, driven by this concern. It's been a bad week for for Hong Kong stocks. Um, They fell after mainland Chinese investors withdrew their money from the market by the most in nine weeks. The Hang Seng um, lost 1.8% last week. The tech index, that was even worse. Uh, That that was down um, around 4.5% last week. And the Hang Seng Index has fallen about 11.5% since hitting a peak on January uh, the 27th. So what what do you make of this uh, of this decline? I do see like on last Friday, uh, money just simply outflow from Hong Kong um, through Stock Connect. You can see that, like um, some of the chip makers company, and there's a very big outflow um, from the Stock Connect as well. So I I would not um, say um, bottoming or it's the best time to put your money in. But in the longer term, I, I think they're fundamental-wise, uh, they're still doing okay, but the share price, probably not. Mm. And, and uh, why are um, Chinese and Hong Kong stocks slumping? What, 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 we've seen the CSI 300. It was down, what, 2% Friday, the biggest decline uh, since October. If you look at the Hang Seng, it's down about 11.5% from its peak um, in, in January. Um, Alex, Alex what, why are we seeing this slide? Uh, this slide actually is caused by the um, tech sectors or private enterprises. I think people are not confident in the... Um, uh, in the long run, outlook for these sectors because, uh, first of all, I think uh, people' interest are in SOE right now for China. If you want to put money in China, I think people are more comfortable in putting money on SOEs. Uh, and then the potential sanctions by the U.S. actually is uh, the latest uh, catalyst on the sell-off. So I think uh, uh, the 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 original outlook actually is already not good for P uh, chips. And then uh, this sanction actually accelerated the uh, bearish sentiment. So um, that's why we are seeing uh, the sell-off accelerated. And I think uh, people actually are, are quite disappointed after, uh, about the performance in April because uh, in, in the start of this month, actually, people are quite um, uh, bullish on the um, uh, P-chips because of the potential spin-off of Alibaba. But I think uh, this uh, already uh, once again um, failed to, to, to sustain. So I think uh, this... this um, uh, uh, price action also uh, damaged the uh, long-term confidence into investing into Chinese, Chinese uh, mega tax. 
Dickie, what what do you put it down towards? What what why are we seeing this uh, this decline? Well, actually, I totally agree with um, Alex. And uh, moreover, uh, we have to bear in mind, like um, the Hong Kong's dollar um, was really weak, and also. Uh, touched a few times of the lower band of its currency band, and uh, this creates some kind of problem. First of all, um, money keep outflow from Hong Kong. This is not a good sign, and um, and also like when uh, the currency uh, touched the lower end and the liquidity, it's really sit below like fifty billions, which is the lowest point um, since um, zero zero eight. Um, in terms of the um, the interest environment, it will also give a boost when uh, the liquidity uh, keep on falling. Uh, so there is a pressure for the not only the the high ball but also probably uh, most of the interest rates, um, including um, the banks. They may have to hike interest rate in 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 the, in the short term. They may or may not, but. Uh, there's still some kind of fear uh, that the interest rate will continue to go up, go up because this is the the mechanism of the currency pack mm. in Hong Kong. So, so interest rates have got to rise, haven't they? The, the local price. banks have got to raise the prime rates to, to to offset this. They may they may have to rise rise the prime rate, but uh, I I don't really expect that uh, because still. Um, eventually, when um, the liquidity drops like so so low, like at the, the level close to zero, the interest rate will go up uh, immediately, and then the the currency may turn stronger. But uh, there's some kind of fear that eventually, if um, the banks, no matter a smaller one or bigger one, if they have to hike the prime rate, and that will definitely give a big um, damage to some of the like local property developers and 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 actually other companies so this so this is also one of the the fear but uh, moreover like increasing tension between china and us and also money outflow from the stock connects so these also create like pressure to to the hong kong stock market alex do, do you see this um this capital outflow this capital flight from hong kong is it going to continue uh, in the meantime, probably, probably not because not we are seeing some um, surge in interest rate in Hong Kong. So um, that probably will limit the uh, extent of the outflow. But uh, that I think is a worrying because you are you are you are limiting the problem by uh, uh, a higher interest rate environment. So that is uh, another is good, problem here. Yes, because this is related to interest rate. So when the interest rate is higher, then probably the the funds will stay here. But uh, just for the high interest rate, so that is already quite damaging to the market and business environment in Hong Kong. And and is capital leaving because of that differential between U.S. and Hong Kong dollar rates? Is is that is that what is driving it out, or is there a confidence issue as well? I think uh, first of all, this is uh, the interest rate uh, issue, and then I think this is also a confidence issue uh, late now uh, in the in, in in the recent development because uh, this uh, low interest rate environment in Hong Kong actually uh, has been quite persistent uh, uh, over the past few years. But the problem is uh, we are seeing uh, a sudden surge in interest rate, so that is uh, meaning the the outflow actually is getting more and more significant. Dickie, what, what do you think? Do you think this is also a confidence issue? Do you see this persisting? 
Uh, I do think so. Um, um, on the other hand, yes, uh, we all know like when there's some kind of like uh, interest rate um, difference, yeah, people may just exit the Hong Kong market, just sell the Hong Kong dollar and buy US dollars. That's no question asked. But I do agree with Alex. This is also like an, a, a confident issue as well because of the tension between China and US and also uh, because of um, the the recovery of the economy, no matter uh, domestically in Hong Kong or in mainland China, uh, is simply not good enough. Um, and also, moreover, some of the, uh, I mean, restructuring of some of the companies, including like Alibaba and Tencent, and they may spin off some of the companies, or already reflected that, uh, I mean, on the market. But uh, the fear that some of the uh, investor, they are still, uh, I mean, decreasing their stick on some of the uh, key index components uh, including Nesper is still selling uh, Tencent and um, Alibaba is still facing off like um, selling pressure uh, from one of its biggest um, shareholder in Japan. So this is remain cautious. That's why um, the sentiment in Hong Kong is, is not that good. Um, Alex, how much is the the data, the, the the economic data that we saw from China last week, sort of weighing on the markets as well? Although it was quite good on the surface, wasn't it? When you look at things like GDP and retail sales, when you dig into it more, um, there seems to be a worrying lack of business confidence and, and investment into uh, into new markets and new businesses. Probably would be another problem because uh, people probably reckon the recovery would be um, speedier. So um, uh, and also the consumption level actually is uh, is a bit disappointing. I think uh, that probably would be still um, a, a a a drag in the market. And uh, and because uh, we we are quite um, we were quite quite positive on the potential impact from the reopening. But I think uh, people probably reckon the the the, the development actually is uh, is not that strong. Um, but the good thing is that we could do do have some encouragement from the trade data uh, earlier. So uh, that I think uh, is a bit um, supportive, but uh, the the point is that uh, we do have uh, some mixed uh, feelings from from recent sets of data. So uh, probably people would still look at the uh, next round of data to determine uh, whether the the recovery is strong strong enough. Dicky, what what did you make of the data last week? Encouraging on the surface, wasn't it? But what do you think overall? Well, in terms of economic data, uh, rolled out last week from mainland China, um, there are actually better than expectations, uh, including retail sales, uh, including some of the like PPI, CPI, and etc. And there's no in inflationary pressure in China. But uh, in terms of uh, investment, uh, fixed asset investment, and also um, employment market, especially for teenagers, then that's another story. Um, still very high for unemployment rates from youngster teenagers and college graduates. And um, second of all, um, yeah, the, the long holiday is coming. I mean, in mainland uh, bookings um, in, in China for like trips abroad um, uh, during this long holiday uh, will continue to grow. But um, in terms of like, and the actual numbers still far below uh, pre-COVID levels. So this is another um, concern about um, why some of the like um, d- duty-free uh, companies, there's 
still share price still uh, underperformed the overall market and seriously underperformed some of the um, uh, well-known big names, uh, including Louis Vuitton, MS, their share price hitting new high and new high and new high again, but not the local uh, duty-free operators. And also um, already probably reflected that um, the recovery not happen is is not strong enough to boost um, the share price of 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 the uh, of the companies just uh, I've just mentioned. But uh, obviously, some of the online uh, re- and travel operators uh, they they are actually in better shape. Mm. Alex, let me ask you a bit about that that point that. Um... I think he just raised about the unemployment rates. The, uh, the, the, the official rate, 5.3%, but the unemployment rates, the youth unemployment rate, that's for those aged 16 to 24, is increased to 19.6%. That means almost one in five young people are, are out of work, close to a record um, high. And, and, um, we heard the authorities on, on Friday, they were almost sort of saying that university graduates, the part of the problem was they were refusing to put aside their professional ambitions and take on manual labor and that basically they should go and work on farms in, and in supermarkets. This is a big problem and that isn't really the solution, is it? Well, there's a big problem. Of course, of course. I think that is a problem we talk about uh, for more than one year already. So uh, there's a mismatch, and expectations has been uh, too high for many young people. I think, and and of course, the another point is, uh, if they live in cities, then probably they, they, they their families actually are, are okay, so they can um, sit at homes, and and also they probably they could search for jobs, um, uh, like uh, YouTubers and KOL. So that is also not counted in the statistics. So I think uh, this problem actually will persist. And this and is a this problem we also we're facing in Hong Kong as well. So I think that this is uh, not not just the problem that China is facing, but uh, all, uh, but I think the solution actually would not be easy to 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 to, to get. And this is this is a problem, Dickie, isn't it? And it's not great for um, President Xi's campaign to, to sort of redistribute a, a sort of wealth, the common prosperity campaign, when when graduates can't get jobs. Well, that's so obvious. So that's why um, you can see a very clear tendency that uh, uh, when we talk about the private sector or even the tech sector, um, Chinese government tends to support them in terms of um, give them a, a lot of like uh, the regulatory pressure like um, previously uh, last two years. But it doesn't really help with the situation at all because uh, even the uh, regulatory pressure uh, is east, but uh, some of the tech companies they're just simply not willing to hire more youngster or hire more more people um, because the 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 numbers are not in good shape. Uh, so that's why they're not willing to hire more people. But uh, yes, uh, Alex have just mentioned uh, a clear point. Some of the youngster they are not willing to to find a like a traditional job. They don't like to work for like uh, the manufacturing sector. They want to find a job maybe related to uh, the new economy, internet, and so on. They want to be YouTuber and KLL. That's why they can earn fast money. But uh, obviously, not not every single person, they have the ability to do so. So this is why. And, and they're actually from um, middle-class families. So they're, they're, they have 
they don't have to urge to find a job to support their family. Actually, the the parents are supporting them. So this is another problem. Actually, it's also happening in Hong Kong. Um, let me ask you about the U.S. markets. We we had the uh, the PMI, the flash PMI data uh, from the U.S., much better than expected, actually, particularly on the services um, sector. Alex, it doesn't seem to be pointing to a recession, does it? If anything, it's it's pointing to sort of growth seems to be quite robust, maybe around two percent. I think uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the outlook is a bit mixed, mixed and uh, and data actually are mixed. So this is still quite quite data dependent. But the general perception is that uh, we probably will still get one more way hike, and then that's it. And right now the market actually is um, very uh, earnings dependent. So uh, we are seeing um, uh, diverse uh, reactions uh, to earnings uh, from different uh, companies. So uh, in the meantime, the index actually is uh, getting locked within a narrow range. But I think uh, the breakout probably will happen soon because uh, people probably will change their perceptions about the interest rate outlook uh, uh, quite fast. I think uh, probably uh, entering into May, probably we will have a clearer direction. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we are still seeing um, reactions uh, day-to-day on uh, latest earning results from uh, different companies. Dicky, do you see a recession coming in the, in the U.S. or is the data looking well, quite good? Well, though I'm not that uh, bullish on um, the, the outlook of the U.S. stock market, I'm not bearish either. Um, in terms of the economic data, I don't really see that um, recession is coming, uh, as, especially when we talk about the private sector. And um, obviously, the tension between China and U.S. I've mentioned again and again may hurt some of the, the, the earnings outlook of the U.S. companies, but uh, not that significant, um, obviously. But uh, we have to bear in mind like um, the confidence about the uh, the banking sector, the outlook of the banking sector remains some kind of like concern. I do agree with Warren Buffett. I don't really see uh, the risk of depositors, but I do think some kind of risk on um, the banking sector. So banking sector may uh, still continue to outperform the overall broad market. And um, some of the tech sector, it depends. Like, um, I, I think I, I don't really see, see so much upside, but uh, remain in some kind of range trading pattern. And I don't I don't really see so much downside because um, Federal Reserve probably will hike one more time, 25 basis points um, for the Fed fund. And that's it. So this will give some kind of like uh, a hope for the market as well. Well, thank you both very much. You heard there uh, Dickie Wong, who is Head of Research at Kingston Securities, Alex Wong, who is Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. I'm joined now by Andy Sher, who is Shanghai-based independence economist. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Peter. Um, Let me ask you, first of all, about this latest news um, in the technology war um, between the U.S. and China. It looks like, first of all, this is going to extend now to investment flows. The U.S. looking at restricting um, investment flows into certain sectors. And also the Financial Times reporting this morning um, that the Biden administration is trying to get South Korea to encourage its largest chip makers, Samsung Electronics, SK Hynix, uh, to not fill the gap if there's sanctions put by China onto, onto Micron. This all seems to be a worrying escalation, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think that the Liu is trying to uh, slow down, uh, trying to slow down China's uh, technology de- development. 
or lose the competitiveness in these sectors. So, uh, so it's trying to get its allies uh, to work together on on these. But I you know uh, it, it, it's uh, it's really I I I think that uh, it's not going to work out eventually. Uh, what I have seen is that it, that it appears that uh, it's it's really focused the country's attention on this on breaking through these uh, restrictions. Mm. I think a lot of there are a lot of people, and China has a lot of money. And uh, and uh, if you think the Chinese are uh, 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 just uh, uh, dumb, uh, couldn't do that uh, without a foreigners, and I, I think that that, that assumption is uh, is probably not robust. So, do you think um, China will ultimately be able to develop its own uh, semiconductor industry? The, the, the problem seems to be it doesn't have the equipment, does it, to manage uh, yeah, to, to manufacture yeah. the advanced chips? But could it develop its own equipment? Could it source that equipment no, domestically? Yeah. Yeah, it's developing its own equipment sector, but the issue is that it takes a long time because of the the, com- the supply chain, uh, the components uh, supply chain is very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's even if for for uh, uh, one, one one machine, it would require like uh, maybe five hundred suppliers, mm-hmm. and these suppliers are spread around, like in Japan, uh, Japanese still good at some precision equi- uh, components and so forth. So. Uh, it's not just the equipment itself. It's uh, you really need to pull in all the, the whole supply chain. So it, it takes uh, takes time. Mm. It takes time. But uh, but uh, uh, it's uh, uh, this is basically uh, it, it's basically time uh, uh, time consuming. But uh, but uh, you know if you put your mind to it, uh, you you can do it. China is big enough uh, to do everything uh, together at the same time. Mm. And, and what do you make about this news of new controls on outbound U.S. investment to China that the Biden administration is talking about um, imposing at around the time of the G7 summit later uh, next month in uh, in Japan? What sort of impact will that have? Well, uh, it, uh, it, it, uh, like this uh, semiconductor equipment thing, it, it could have an impact, but uh, it, uh, it just slows down China's uh, uh, development somewhat, but... Uh, it's not likely to stop China. This is really about what happened to this uh, uh, commercial air, commercial jet. Uh, China is developing the equipment of uh, of uh, Airbus and uh, Boeing uh, Boeing uh, jet, and and uh, uh, it looks like it's working. And uh, and it, it it came through through many uh, JVs with many component suppliers. Mm. But uh, you know it. it well, obviously, this JV process did uh, did help, but it doesn't mean that uh, uh, that in the future China will 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 be uh, will will be, be totally dependent on these JV suppliers because Chinese technology level has really uh, is really uh, making uh, uh, some tremendous progress in the last three years, uh, as far as I can tell, in terms of manufacturing process, in terms of. Uh, 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 like an EV, uh, it's like basically a generation of people after uh, making things, uh, looking at lo- looking at how uh, the technology uh, is uh, is uh, uh, how technology works. Mm. Uh, I, what I see is that uh, a whole generation uh, have matured. 
and uh, and can do a lot lot more. This is just uh, what has happened to like uh, infrastructure uh, to the earlier stage of development and so forth. Basically, you have a, a generation doing something uh, and first initially at downstream. Uh, and uh, like uh, uh, making things, then you walk back upstream, and uh, eventually you figure out how how everything works. And uh, what I see is that in the technology space, uh, this is what's going on. And what is the risk then that the the global economy is just going to split into two blocks? It's a fear that the IMF has and the World Bank has, doesn't it? That you're going to have this China-centric block and then this US-centric block, which will be very damaging to global growth, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, basically we're moving towards two prices. But the issue is that uh, you know you have we're going to have a you uh, you G seven price, and then we have a global south price, uh, which uh, comes from China. Uh, and uh, you look at the EV, China now is making an EV, the uh, BYD selling EV for about eleven thousand US dollars, uh, and uh, that goes for like a. a uh, over 200 miles, uh, about 260 miles. And uh, it, it, anywhere else you look, find something equivalent that will cost twice as much. Mm-hmm. So uh, so uh, this is what we're talking about. In the, it's clearly in the EV space because the U.S. is using subsidy uh, to, to encourage uh, local production. But at that, uh, the end result is that the U.S. EV will cost twice as much as China's EV. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be very damaging then for the global economy overall if, if that happens. And as you say, we're going to end up with dual um, sort of pricing structures for, for key products. Yeah, I, I think the, the eventually the G7 would, 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 uh, uh, would uh, obvious high price uh, slow down growth and, uh, and boost inflation. So uh, that's something I've been writing about. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, we're going to have a global, global south. We'll have a different uh, 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 growth uh, potential growth rate, and I think it's probably around five percent. I think the G7 is likely uh, headed towards uh, zero growth and uh, uh, inflation. And, and maybe in terms of recession, do you see the US slipping into recession? Yeah, it is, but it's going to be a falling permanent recession. It's basically uh, because uh, the US, uh, uh, the, the the global labor shortage is uh, is all around and it's structural. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the recession has to come from uh, uh, profit uh, uh, margin going down and uh, uh, shrinkage in capital expenditure and uh, some uh, reduction in fiscal deficit. Uh, the, the demand uh, reduction ha- will come from, probably come from these three sources. But uh, mm-hmm. labor has bargaining power because of the labor shortage. So wages will, will, will go up and uh, will try to catch up with uh, inflation. And, and some. So uh, the central banks uh, uh, who are hoping that uh, a mild recession will bring down inflation, they will be surprised. Mm. So let me ask you then about GD- uh, China's economy. We had the GDP data last week. Uh, GDP grew 4.5% year on year. Retail sales were particularly strong, rising 10.6% year on year in March. Um, what's your assessment after seeing that data? Well, I, I think that the market thought it was stronger than expected, you know, and a financial market uh, doesn't make some sense, doesn't make much sense in terms of predicting the economy. Uh, I, I, uh, what I see is that uh, the, uh, I've been, uh, I wrote at the beginning of the year that China would have 5% growth rate, uh, but that 5% is, is, is quite weak. 
mm-hmm. because the base is very low after you know three years of a uh, of a pandemic, the base is at least like a minus eight. So if you anything below that is kind of a not even filling the hole. So uh, so uh, uh, minus eight is uh, uh, from the last three years. You're adding the potential for this this year. It's uh, it's about a twelve to thirteen percent. Mm, so this. So uh, obviously, growth rate is uh, very very anemic compared to, to 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 that to what you could do against what you are doing. And the reason is because Chinese uh, households uh, really lost uh, income uh, during the past three years. And the savings uh, stock uh, kind of declined, so they need to re- rebuild. This is a, a very important element in slowing down the recovery of the service sector. Then we have the property sector that is uh, uh, really uh, just beginning to restructure. It takes a long time, many years, for the property sector to normalize. And these two, two factors are uh, keeping Chinese economy below potential. And the, the authorities seem to be quite worried, don't they, about uh, the consumer sector? They don't seem to be satisfied uh, that it's strong enough. You mentioned the the, the reasons uh, why. Yeah, you, you have to wait for wages wages to rise, for people to recover their balance sheet, and it takes time. And mm. there's there's no point of hurrying on. Let me ask you about the unemployment rate, Um, 5.3%. But the thing that stood out was the youth unemployment rate for those aged 16 to 24. It's 19.6%, almost one in five uh, young people out of work. Um, This is a huge problem for China, isn't it? And it doesn't seem to have a solution to it. It was basically on Friday blaming uh, graduates for for wanting to have professional jobs rather than taking on manual labour. Why too many, too many, uh, uh, too many people going to college these days? Over half, fifty percent, over fifty percent. China is a manufacturing economy that doesn't need a lot of college graduates. So everybody wants to be a financial guy or internet guy. Both bubbles are have are deflating. So, uh, and during, uh, during the meantime, we have a severe shortage of manual labor, mm-hmm. both uh, factory level or, or the service sector. So uh, uh, you know, we, we do have a mismatch, and it's an aspiration issue. So uh, I don't know how this is going to work out. A lot of kids like, uh, uh, who, who couldn't pass uh, the college uh, exam, then they try again and they try again. And they get their mother to uh, stay home to, uh, to kind of cook, cook for them, and uh, so that they, they think that that helps. So we have two people staying at home uh, for 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 many years because uh, ki- uh, this kid wants to go to uh, go to college. So you think and if the... you fail a, cu- a couple of times, maybe you get the message. You know, even half of the people go to college and you still fail a couple of times. Is it worth it? Mm. So you think the government may be right then that you know graduates have got to maybe for a while put aside their professional ambitions and be prepared to take on other other jobs. Yeah, but uh, what are they they're doing? They're bidding down the entry level white collar jobs, uh, bidding down the wages to the three thousand, four thousand, basically not getting paid compared mm-hmm. to construction worker getting paid over ten thousand. You know. Mm-hmm. Andy, it's always very good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Andy Share, Shanghai-based independence analyst. <laughs>
And you've been listening to Money Talk. If you want more information on any of the stories we've discussed today, please take a look at my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Tomorrow on the show, I'll be joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, James Wong, who is chief executive officer at Cathasia Securities, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Money Talk 